Crosspoint Church's weekly sermon audio from lead pastor Brad Evangelista. For more information about Crosspoint, visit InsideCrosspoint.com. Amen. Good morning. Merry Christmas. Wow, there's a little more of you here than I thought there was going to be on a Christmas morning. Way to go. All right. If you have a Bible, open it to Luke chapter 2. We're going to read through the first 21 verses of Luke chapter 2 and meditate on the coming of Christ on this Christmas morning as you're finding Luke, 20, Luke chapter 2. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, I'd love for you to use one of the ones that's in the chair rack in front of you. You can keep that Bible as our Christmas gift to you if you don't own a Bible and you can find a Luke 2 on the pages that are listed there if you're not used to looking up passages in the Bible. And I want to reiterate what Reynolds said. If you've got a little one in here and they are a little feisty or vocal, that is okay. Uh, want, kids need to be kids, right? In fact, a young couple before we started the service said that um, there's a possibility that one of their children may join me on the stage at any given moment. And that would be awesome if that happened. Hey, as you're finding Luke 2, I, I just want to mention to you to give you an update about two young babies from Crosspoint that we've been praying about. Uh, uh, Jason and Catherine Elliston is a couple that is part of Crosspoint. They're members here, but they recently moved up to Boston, uh, Massachusetts, because their daughter that was born about a month and a half ago, Penelope Rue, uh, required some heart surgery that the only, really the best pediatric surgeon in the country was up in Boston and she's going to need some long-term care and she was able to get this heart surgery and then several other surgeries after that following up Uh, and the good news is is that from all accounts Penelope is doing really well and I think maybe I saw on her Facebook page today or yesterday that possibly they may be going home today or tomorrow anytime soon she's doing really really well so praise God for that now she's going to require some care going forward for her condition. And so Jason and Catherine are going to stay in the Boston area for the foreseeable future. But praise God for for little Penelope Ruth's progress. And then also, one of our pastors, Robert uh, Ward and his wife Sigourney, had their second child, a little baby girl, Sarah Joy, about a month ago. And she is up in Scottish Rite uh, in Atlanta Children's Hospital there, where uh, on Monday of this past week, almost a week ago, she had some surgery on her jaw to help her eat and breathe a little bit better. And so that surgery went well, and she is in the process of treatment on her jaw. That we're, They're actually lengthening her jaw through this really incredible medical technology that was part of the surgery. And so that seems to be going well. Uh, Robert and Sigourney, I think, are very encouraged. And, but they are still in the hospital uh, on Christmas Day. And in fact, yesterday was Robert's birthday. And they will be in the hospital, uh, I think, probably through the week. And so continue to pray for little Sarah Joy Ward and, um, and ask that the Lord would give, give Robert and Sigourney grace as they are with their little daughter there. Well, I'm going to read the first 21 verses of Luke 2 and uh, make a few comments along the way. And then, uh, then we will, as we always do, we will uh, hear the gospel and we will uh, respond in prayer and worship. And the guys will come up and lead us in a song. And Reynolds will conclude our time together with a benediction. But let me start reading in Luke chapter 2. And before I do that, I'm going to pray. And I want us to just see some, some beautiful truths from this, from this passage that... I'm sure it's familiar to many of us. So let's pray before I read. Father, thank you for the gift of 
the incarnation of your son Jesus, who as we've stated already through prayer and song, that is God become flesh. That moment when you broke into human history and you through your son Jesus took on the likeness of sinful flesh. I pray that as we gather on this beautiful Christmas morning, with all of the wonderful things that come along with Christmas, family and traditions and the the beautiful sentimentality of the season, that all of those things would serve not to distract us, but to lift our eyes so that we might see the one from whom every good and perfect gift flows, you, the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. You are one that in our joys and in our sorrows can be utterly trusted. You are good and you're sovereign and you have made a way to yourself through your son, Jesus. So now as we think about his birth and what you have accomplished in his birth, I pray that you would encourage and convict and warm our hearts and spur us on to be people who rightly worship you. And for my friends that may be in this room this morning on a Christmas day that do not yet know your son personally, they have not yet put their hope and trust in Jesus, I pray that by your sovereign kindness, you might give them the most important gift that any human needs, and that is the gift of faith and repentance, whereby we are enabled by your Holy Spirit to turn away from trusting in ourselves that's repentance, and to put our hope and trusting in you, that's faith, and what you have done in Jesus. I pray that you'd give those gifts liberally this morning. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke 2, verse 1. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius the governor, was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. Let me stop there and just note that what seems to be just an ordinary accounting, a recounting of historical fact that Jesus, along with his parents, Joseph and Mary, of course, Joseph, not his biological dad, that he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, as we read last night in Matthew chapter 1, but that Jesus, as this young baby, is going with his parents to be born in this city of Bethlehem. They were living in Nazareth, Nazareth, and then Joseph, because of this decree of this emperor, is going to his town of his heritage, Bethlehem, for this baby Jesus to be born. And this may just seem like an obscure historical fact, but actually what's happening here is is that God is arranging for the birth of Jesus to happen in Bethlehem, which was prophesied hundreds of years before by the prophet Micah. We won't take the time to turn there, but in Micah chapter 5, this small prophet in the Old Testament, in the second verse, the prophet is speaking words of hope to God's people as they are returning from exile. And he's saying to them that this small little town of Bethlehem, 
This tiny little obscure place is the place from which the leader, the ruler of all Israel would come. Of course, at that time, they don't quite understand the significance of that prophecy. But we see that prophecy being fulfilled through the instrumentation of this emperor, this ruler, Caesar, calling for this census, which brought about this chain of events where, Luke, where Joseph and Mary had to go back to their home, Joseph's hometown so that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem, thus fulfilling this seemingly obscure prophecy in the Old Testament. Friends, when we read the details of the historical account of Jesus' birth and the the detail that goes into fulfilling even these small details like the place of his birth, we see and are reminded that God is in utter and complete control of human history. In Isaiah, the prophet that we've been looking at in a sort of 30,000 foot level since a view from this past month, we, we see prophecies like Isaiah 46 or these statements of God's sovereign control over all things where God says through the prophet Isaiah, as the people are in despair, in Babylonian captivity, God is reminding them that even the worst of events, he is in utter control over. He says to Israel in Isaiah 46, I know the end from the beginning. I have planned it all, is what he says. And here we see God planning even the place of Jesus' birth. God is in control of human history. He's in control of current events. God is in control of who assumes power in America, who is in control of Middle Eastern countries. God is in control of all things. The Proverbs say that he holds the heart of the king in his hand like a water course, and he turns it wherever he will. And so as we look at this Christmas, for many of us, as Reynolds alluded to earlier, this is a time of great joy and tradition and love. But there are other people in this room that this is a particularly hard and sad time for a variety of reasons. And we can know and grab hold of and stake our lives on this truth that God is sovereign. He is sovereign over every nook and cranny of human history. He's sovereign over every small detail of our lives. He is sovereign over the worst reign of the worst ruler. And he's sovereign over the worst moment of even our lives. God is sovereign. He's sovereign over the birth of his son. He's sovereign over great joy. And he's sovereign over great sadness this morning. Let's keep reading in verses 6 and 7. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. I just want us to note there before we continue on the humility and the, I think I'm making up a word here, but the ordinariness of Jesus' birth. Think about the, really the, the ordinary nature of the king, the creator of the universe, birth. Now, I am a, a self-confessed um, Anglophile, which means that I love all things British. Not just dead British preachers, but I'm just fascinated with 
British English culture in general. I'm fascinated with the, with the British monarch. Uh, I'm fascinated, I, I know this is maybe, uh, it might cause me a little scorn, it's not the most masculine TV series that's ever been watched, but I loved Downton Abbey. In fact, I'm still kind of mourning. I wish they would just revive it, come out with a season eight. I loved it. There's just something about the regal nature of monarchy. Now, don't get mad at me. I really don't need any emails on Christmas Day, but um, there's a new Netflix series out called The Crown, and I'm only a couple episodes in, so if it's bad, I haven't seen anything too bad. If it's bad, and I should be watching it, okay, correct me later, but just let me enjoy it for Christmas. But there's this new Netflix series out called The Crown that details the early years of Queen Elizabeth, the current Queen Elizabeth's reign after World War II. And I'm just, I'm just fascinated by it all and the regal nature of monarchy. Now think about the King of Kings being born into a manger. Let's think about the humility of Jesus' birth. And how he identifies, not merely with the kings and the important people of this earth, but even the most humble and most downtrodden among us. That's the way Christ came into the world. Amen. Let's keep reading. Verse, verse 8. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. That, that word that we have translated in English, actually two words there, I bring you good news. That, that phrase, good news, literally is the word gospel. This, this angel is coming and proclaiming the gospel to these shepherds. And in fact, that's where we get the word, that root word that we get the gospel from is the word from which we get evangelist. So somebody that is an evangelist is one who proclaims the good news, which ironically enough in God's providence is where is my last name, if you didn't know that. I mean, that's kind of like God ordained it for me. But that is, that's what that word means. The gospel is being proclaimed by these angels to the shepherds. They're, they're coming with the good news. And what is the good news? The good news is verse 11, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So, so the good news is not merely that Jesus has come to teach you a better way to live or that Jesus has come to solve your temporal earthly problems, but that Jesus has come to save you. Well, if he's come to save me, that implicit in that is, is the question, what do we need to be saved from? Well, we need to be saved from sin, from rebellion, from separation from God that all of us have participated in. This word gospel, this word evangelion, from which we get our word evangelist, is really a word that was commonly used in Greek literature around the time of Jesus. It would be used of, say, for example, 
Alexander the Great, who was the great Greek emperor a couple hundred years before Jesus. And when he would have a great military victory where he was trying to conquer the whole known world at the time, he would have troubadours, the, the people that would announce his royal victory, and they would, they would blow the trumpet, and they would announce the latest military conquest of Alexander the Great. And that word that would be used in even ancient Greek literature would be evangelion, gospel, that they come to proclaim the good news of the conquering king. But in a far, far, far greater way, the good news of the gospel comes to proclaim the good news of the conquering King Jesus who has conquered sin, death, and the grave. Notice the juxtaposition of his humility in the manger and his royal announcement just a few verses later. The, ex- the diverse excellencies of Christ is how Jonathan Edwards puts it. Most of us know Jonathan Edwards from his one sermon that we read in middle school history class about sinners in the hands of an angry God, right? That's all you read. Well, actually, Jonathan Edwards preached much more about the love and the mercy and the beauty of Christ. And I think his most beautiful sermon is called The Excellencies of Christ. And he says that one of the proofs of the divinity of Jesus is is the diverse excellencies of Jesus. He is the most humble human that has ever lived. And he is the most powerful being that has ever lived. He comes like a lamb in the manger. And he will come again like a lion for his people. Jesus comes not for sentimental, moral, educational, ethical reasons, but to save his people from their sin. Let's just pause here, and maybe you're visiting with somebody that's family, and you're in town for Christmas, and you've never considered the fact that the Bible is actually very clear. It levels the playing field. It says that all of us, by virtue of the fact that we are human, are by nature sinners. It means that we have all rebelled in some way against God. We have inherited a certain nature from our first parents, Adam and Eve, and it's been passed down through humanity since. We are by nature and by choice rebels, enemies of God. And you may say, well, you know, in comparison to the guy next to me or the guy down the street, I'm not really that bad. And and that may on some level be true. But the Bible isn't judging us against one another. It's judging us against the holiness and righteousness of the creator God. And the Bible clearly tells us that we have rebelled against this holy, eternal, good, and righteous God. And to rebel against God's holiness and beauty and and majesty is to commit treason against our creator. And the only appropriate punishment for that is separation from him forever. And the only hope to that chasm, that gap being bridged, is that Jesus would come fully man, fully God, to lay down his perfect life on the cross to bear the wrath of God so that he might save us from our rebellion. And that's the good news of the gospel that this angel proclaims to the shepherds. And then let's 
Keep reading in verse 12. It says, And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And who are those that God is pleased with? Those who put their hope and faith not in themselves, but in his son who came to bring peace for them. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, I would have loved to have been in this conversation. I mean, can you imagine the reaction to that? Wow. They said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened. Listen to this. Which the Lord has made known to us. Now, in this one little half sentence, we see this pattern of how we as humans are completely dependent on God to open up our eyes, to come to us, to speak to us first, to reveal himself to us so that we can know him. It's not like the, the shepherds were, were great, you know, astrology students and they were, or astronomy, I always get those two words mixed up, but you know what I'm talking about. It's not like they had excelled in the sciences in class and they had figured these things out and they had positioned themselves in such a place where they were likely candidates of God revealing himself to them. No, they, even in this half sentence, which they may have been unaware of the beautiful impact and the theological depth and truth that is in this sentence, they realize that the Lord has made this known to us. So just a moment ago, you maybe were pricked in your heart and, and maybe you sensed that for the first time you realized that you by nature, there's something broken inside of you, just like every other human being, and that God is holy and righteous and good, and that there's a gap between you and Him, and that the only way that that gap can be bridged is through faith in His Son, Jesus. Maybe your natural instinct was to think, okay, now what do I need to do? You know, New Year's Eve is coming up, I'll make some resolutions, and I'll, you know, this is, I'll have to start coming to church a little bit more, or I'll do a little bit of this. And listen, those things can be helpful to do, but no. That the way to God is not through us gritting our teeth and determining to do better. The, the sin that we need to be saved from has so incapacitated us, it has so put us in a ditch that we are completely dependent on God to come to us. And the shepherds recognize that. They say, the Lord has made this known to us. And that's what God does when he opens the mind of any sinner, of any person trapped in their sin, regardless of whether they are a good church person or somebody who is a criminal out on the streets. The light of the glory of the face of Christ shines. It breaks into the darkness of the human soul. God makes himself known to somebody. And when he makes himself known to somebody, he's so irresistibly beautiful that the human heart cannot but help trust and follow him. That's what God does. And maybe that's what God is doing in your life even now, making himself known to you. What should you do? You shouldn't resolve to do better or try harder. That, that is certainly part of the Christian life. But that can only be done after God makes you alive. 
It's not you making yourself better. It's God awakening your soul to the beauty of his son, you beholding him, and then in response to the new life that God has given you, living in accord with that new life. That's the Christian life. Do that even right now, friends. Right now. Don't wait to repeat something after me or have a conversation or feel it. Just right now, even now, acknowledge that if you know, if you sense that, that the Lord is is opening my eyes to see this truth that I've never seen before. Friends, I think that's evidence that God right now is giving you a new heart. Turn from trusting in yourself because the Lord has made himself known to you and cry out to Jesus, I love you, I worship you, I need you to stand for me before a holy God. And although I don't understand it all, I trust in you. And then find somebody in this room that you know to be a follower of Jesus that can help you follow him for the rest of your life. Let's keep reading verse 16. And they went, speaking of the shepherds, with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had seen, heard and seen as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And so what was the response of the shepherds after they heard about Jesus, after he had made himself after God had made this known to them? Well, they went and told the world. They responded in worship. They made the rest of their life a mission to proclaim the good news of who Christ was and what God had done through his son in the manger that day. And just embedded in these last few verses is the Christian life, our response. They went about glorifying and praising God, telling the world about Jesus. In a sense, these shepherds are like the first missionaries sent from the manger, telling the world about Jesus. And that's happening today in Central Asia. It's happening in Kosovo, where the cars are. It's happening where we send money to India to help fund pastors and missionaries in Uganda with Pastor Raphael, in the nooks and crannies of our very lives in the coming days as we tell the world about Jesus for the glory of his name and for our joy. Merry Christmas, Crosspoint. Let's see Jesus in his humility in his splendor, and let's respond by worshiping him rightly this upcoming year, trusting in a God who is sovereign, who has ordained all things, the birth of Jesus and the very details of our lives in such a way that he can be trusted because he is working all things together for the glory of his name and for the ultimate final, ever-increasing joy of his people. Let's pray. Father, we 
Thank you for the birth of your son, the king, the one true and sovereign king. We crown him with many crowns. And yet as transcendent and glorious and holy other that he is, he is with us. He is not only transcendent, he is imminent. He draws near to the brokenhearted. He binds up the outcasts. He heals the brokenhearted. And he who came like a lamb has promised to come again like a lion, at which time he will defeat every foe. He will finally vanquish the presence of every sin. He will heal every hurt. He will wipe away every tear. He will bind up every broken heart. He will level every jagged edge. And he will fill every dark valley. And we will be with you forever. Until that time, Lord, we want to have the same response of the shepherds to spend our days leaning forward into that day, glorifying and praising and telling others about this King Jesus. May it be so in our lives this Christmas season and in 2017 for your glory and for the joy of your people. Amen. Amen. Well, friends, as the team comes back to lead us, Let's all stand together and worship our King, Jesus.